The Youthscape Podcast. to another edition of the Youthscape podcast with me, Martin Saunders. And with me, Rachel Gardner. And we are again on video, which I is exciting. I think our voices have changed. Tambra. I feel like we're more sort of, the weather today is going to be all over the place kind of voice. Do you think? I think so. You think? I think there's both our grey jumpers and our hands like this. We've also been asked to sit quite close together. Oh. And I know we both had lunch. I know. It's just uh, so And you've become quite sort of anxious about the <laughs> spaghetti carbonari and whether it's, it's going to transmit across <laughs> this quite short space. Mate, I'm not worried about that. Do you ever think that when you see people on TV? I don't know. I think if we eat mince. Mm. Do you know there was, uh, to give you a very cultural reference, yeah. you know uh, J.R. Ewing? Uh, was it J.R. Ewing? He, he used to have a love interest in Dallas and they okay. used to kiss each other and they absolutely hated each other. <laughs> so she would fill her mouth with peanut butter. Oh, because he was, he, cause he was allergic. Uh, no, I don't think he was allergic. Oh, that would, gosh, that would be awful. That would potentially kill him. I think it was. I think it was because if he then, you know, tried to kiss her properly, he would. Um, he'd have Gosh, a disgusting experience. Quite, they could yeah. maybe have talked about it and find a different, a different alternative yeah. way. What odd way in? What an odd way in? What a strange way into the Escape podcast. It is. It's because Martin. I I know what it is because mm. you are about to announce something super exciting, and so oh, you were yeah. slightly self-sabotaging before you, think you I'm get nervous. to that point. I think you are nervous. I think you are also excited because this has been on your heart for a very very long time. Oh, yes, it has been on my heart. It has been on your heart. Oh, so that's I think, a good I think Christian we phrase. We want to in it? a minute. Just roll. I want to roll the rocks off the runway. I want to capture mm. that hamster. And let it go. I want to just uh, capture the hamster. Let it go. I'm doing creative dancing right now. You are too blessed to be stressed oh yeah you are too anointed to be disappointed <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think now is the time martin yeah for you to share with your tribe yeah what you have been carrying and brewing for oh this year. <laughs> yeah i have been i have just been carrying something you've been carrying something i have been carrying something um right, anyway uh let's let's, let's well, look, the panties back look, hopefully uh you will have heard about this by now in different ways we will have done uh, a bit of an announcement a launch uh, a Facebook Live you might have seen um, or other social media platform uh, but we are after a very long period of, <laughs> of seeking the Lord and trying to figure it out we are going to be launching uh, the satellites event in uh, August 2021 yeah! so thanks, thanks producer Amy. very exciting um, so yeah so we've been you may know we've been working on this for uh, since about May 2018 18, mm. uh, when Mike Pilavachi at Soul Survivor first got in touch and said uh, that we uh, that they were going to stop doing their Soul Survivor Festival, they'd run it for 26 years at the time, uh, and he'd asked us and our friends at Elim and also our friends at Vineyard, uh, he'd asked us whether we would consider setting up something uh, to, to sort of take some of the place, as it mm. were, of uh, that Soul Survivor's leaving behind. And so for uh, for those two uh, events, which of course are running this summer mm -hmm. in yeah, uh, in Stafford, they're both running in Stafford at the very start of August, I think, end of July. Um, there were to some extent. I'm not saying it was easy. Don't ever <laughs> hear it was yeah. easy, but it was a little simpler for them because they had existing events, mm -hmm. which they then moved into the summer and made for everybody. Uh, and that's brilliant. Yes. Um, but yeah. for us, setting something up completely from scratch uh, because we don't obviously mm -hmm. currently run an event for young people mm. we realized in the end that that was going to take um a bit longer mm -hmm. 
And so at one stage, we, we kind of closed the door on it and we... Uh, because we felt God wasn't giving us a green yeah, light, didn't we? we? Yeah. Well, we mm. definitely felt that God wasn't giving us a green light. Mm. We prayed about it and we felt God say very clearly, no. And then as soon as we uh, kind of announced that we weren't going to do it, we felt God say, okay, not now, but soon. And so uh, we then started to try again, mm. but for 2021. And as we tried to put it together for 2021, I can only describe it as the difference between pushing a closed door mm. and and really walking through a wide open door. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just been such a different experience. And so um, to get really forensic about it, we tried to find a venue we couldn't and now we do have a venue and that became very easy we tried to get some funding for it we couldn't get any funding i mean almost nothing mm-hmm. uh and i you know i'm, I'm a nice guy I asked lots of people for money i thought somebody would have given me some but no mm. um and so we were really struggling to raise funds now uh although that's not finished and not easy we have mm. really seen some people be incredibly generous and not only that but they stepped forward in number at the same time in a way that made me think wow god is doing something here because of the the speed at which um, those things were clustered together uh, gifts from people who don't know each other in any way um that's that's we've seen that as a real green light and then the personnel that we were trying to get involved who had some experience of Mm. uh of running something like this that we need because i believe Mm. it or not don't know how to run uh, a a massive youth event um you know that that wasn't available Mm. the people we asked that absolutely yeah. not yeah. and now that's become a yes and wow. people who uh, you know who previously said no have turned around and said no we do yeah. want to work on this and so what was very clearly a no has very clearly become a yes and so um so yeah so as of um uh, as of now yeah um, as of Woo-hoo! whenever you will have seen this announcement yeah uh, we are going it's, ahead with the event happening. and it will be happening at the east of England uh, arena and showground um, which is in Peterborough so if you went to the last couple of years of Soul Survivor uh, you may have been to week B or week C and that was uh, in Peterborough and uh, the dates uh, at the moment I don't think they'll change but the dates at the moment look like they're going to be the Tuesday the 10th to Saturday the 14th of August Get that in your diaries 2021 Brilliant. So, so uh, we would love you to join us. Yes, we would. Uh, we are going to look to create a little uh, group of founder churches. So, if you're a youth worker, even if you're not attached to a church, actually, but if you want to, if you want to be in at the start, and you uh, feel like this is something that you mm. want to bring young people to, then we'd love you to get involved mm. and become uh, one of our founder churches. So you can find out more at the moment uh, by visiting our website youthscape.co.uk and you can just find it there or it'll be youthscape.co.uk slash satellites Satellites. wonderful we're going to find out more and more and more and more more as the weeks go by I hope so I want to give a little shout out though because there's been a group of people who ever since the first idea was muted two years ago have been unwavering Mm. in their support this has got to happen Mm. that's the youthscape staff here the youthscape staff here who whenever 
Martin or Chris, or someone has a madcap idea, do carry the brunt of that. They, they like the National Youth Ministry Weekend happens because our phenomenal staff yeah. make it happen. Actually, yeah. it's on top of what they do. They have consistently said, "If God is saying this, we're in." Consistently, mm. and I think that's just real testament to just kind of that faithfulness of their heart. And also, a number of you, a number of you have been saying to us, "Don't give up on that idea. Come on, mm. keep thinking." So mm. thank you, thank you, thank you. Because although actually these big mountains, these big giants had to be felled, these big mountains had to move, mm. the consistent faith and kindness and generosity of, of just encouragement from the Youth Ministry Tribe has been incredible and it's really yeah. given us hope that actually God could possibly use our meagre attempts at trying to do something. So mm. thank you. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, so now we actually have to do it, which is terrifying. <laughs> uh, and we've got some ideas. There's a few portaloos in a field <laughs> and a football. There's still a few ways you can get involved and help. And uh, one of those ways is to pray for us. We would love you genuinely to be praying. We have seen the power of prayer mm. uh, really at work. Um, we, When we were first seeking God on this, uh, we got the whole team together to pray. And they actually did. Like, we actually did yeah. get the team together. We, had, we ran a week of prayer. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And then we together heard a no. Mm. And then we prayed and prayed and prayed for the situation to be different this time. And it has been. And mm. we've seen some really amazing mm. things happen. So please do pray. Yes. We'd also love you to uh, continue to uh, consider supporting it financially. Uh, if We've had some amazing gifts from individual youth workers uh, and churches who've just given sacrificially. Uh, mm. If that's something that you want to do, then that would be amazing. You can get in touch with me or visit the website uh, to find out about how to do that. Or if you think there's someone we should meet or someone we should talk to who might be helpful uh, to help fund this thing, it's going to cost an enormous amount of money. Uh, and uh, and that's good because, you know, it should, it should because yeah. we're investing in young people yeah. and we want to do a great job. Yeah. Um, but that's the second way. And then the third thing is we are going to be talking to people uh, around the country about what this thing should look like. Um, and so we've got some really firm ideas about um, what it is, we the journey that we want young people to go on and, and what it is that we want to put into young people uh, at this event. But actually in mm. terms of the, so the DNA is fixed, but the, the actual kind of everything around that, mm. what it actually looks and feels like is still up for grabs. And we'd love to hear from you, the experts, mm. and from young people, the absolute experts, to see what that should be like. So, so we will be kind of going around the country a little bit and having some town hall meetings. Uh, but also if you are involved from the start and you want to be involved as a kind of founding uh, partner in this thing, then we'd love to hear from you. So um, yes. there's loads of ways to get involved. We're going to talk about it a bit over the coming months. I'm sorry. Um, but this does feel like a really exciting vision. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to apologize. No, don't apologize. We're none of us listening are sorry. We're very, very happy. Brilliant. Well, I think it's time to let Martin now. Have rest. Just rest. Just rest just in just the let presence. let all the adrenaline go. Rest in the presence. And I caught up with, um, with Bishop Philip North, who is Bishop of Blackburn. Mm. Um, and I'm fairly new to the Northwest. And I've been so moved and encouraged by seeing how the bishops in the Northwest who I serve are so um, invested in youth ministry. And Bishop Philip North is deeply invested in the ministry of the women and the men in the Northwest who lead the churches. And he is 100% sold out for youth ministry. So I, I grabbed a bit of time with him and said, I think my first question was like, what were you like as a teenager? And it just was gold from there on in. So ladies and gentlemen, Bishop Philip North.
I'd like to start, Bishop Philip, with a very, very important question that I know everyone's desperate to ask. So I'm sat with a bishop in not quite full regalia, but you're wearing the suit. Of armor, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty you? smart, pretty smart. <laughs> pretty smart. What were you like as a teenager? I was, you know, I was a nightmare kid. Yeah, oh, I, I went back that. to I went back to speak at my old school a few years ago, and the teachers were eye, mouths <laughs> hanging open in disbelief because they couldn't believe that such a troublemaker was a was a priest. I was I was a I was a really naughty boy. I didn't I wasn't kind of hardcore gangster or anything. I wasn't doing drugs or talking cars or anything like that. But it's just kind of constant mischief making and 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 talking out of turn and <laughs> plotting to undermine the. With running of the school and things like that. Wait, wait a minute, talking out of turn and plotting to undermine. There's a huge <laughs> They're not on a level, Bishop. Do you well, know that? They often go together, <laughs> don't they? You know, it's, it's 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 the same kind of attitude, isn't it? I've I've always, you know, I've I've I can't sit still. Mm. I get bored terribly easily. I detest people telling me what to do. So basically, everything about school was bad news for me. Mm. And how I got through, I think it's mostly because of music, sport, and some extremely patient teachers that I managed to get through school at all. Um, but it was not a kind of particularly conducive environment to my flourishing. But I survived. You survived. <laughs> and, and in the midst of all that, was there a, a faith that you were inheriting? Or did you come to faith much later? I, I came to faith for the cash, if you want the honest answer. Um, well, let me, no, no, let's get that clear. I started going to church for the cash. Um, when I was a boy growing up, there was a church nearby that paid the boys to sing in the choir. And I was interested in money. Uh, my parents had split up. There wasn't much income in our household. Um, uh, things were sometimes quite tense at home. So church both provided me a source of income, but it also it was a place to kind of go where I could be with people my own age and safe space, really. Um, and it's very, very precious growing up. But it was, the, I have to say, the money was attractive. You got paid a lot of money for singing at weddings and for singing generally. And that's what got me involved in the life of the church. But it really wasn't until my teenage years I became a Christian. Um, and that was because of a new curate who arrived who simply enjoyed the company of teenagers and set up spaces where we could meet together and knew how to listen to us and didn't bombard us with preformed answers, was happy to walk with us and struggle with us, but also just made the gospel credible. Mm. Talking about Jesus in terms of relationship rather than terms of rules and do's and don'ts. Sounds obvious, doesn't it? But uh, making, you know, making Jesus as someone who, through the resurrection, is alive and we can be in relationship with him. Um, and in his eyes, Though unworthy, we're worthy, worthy of his death, worthy of the gift of, of eternal life. Now, he just made this very clear in this context of safe space and good listening. And that's, you know, that's when I came to faith. And it sounds like that had an impact not only for then in your faith formation, but also in how you've carried that for the rest of your life because I, I suppose I've fairly recently got to know you although you've been on my radar for quite a long time because whenever a senior church leader says anything about reaching young people I think I, our youth work ears prick up so um, I'd love to hear a little bit about the youth pilgrimage that you take to Walsingham every year because that sounds like what started with the curate many years ago that opening up of faith has become something that's really shaped your own ministry so tell us a bit about the youth pilgrimage. Well, the youth pilgrimage has been going, you know, it's, it's, 
been going, I didn't start it, it's been going longer than I've been around for. Um, Walsingham is a place of pilgrimage in North Norfolk and uh, it's an interesting place because it's in beautiful Norfolk countryside and it's a shrine where the most people who go there are from inner urban, often deprived parishes. In fact, David Hope once described it as the only truly working class institution in the Church of England. And I know just what he means, the, you know, the, that's, that's the pilgrimage cohort. Um, and uh, about, I suppose, 25 years ago, the diocese decided, the, the shrine decided to reach out more to teenagers and started an event called the Youth Pilgrimage aimed at the 11 to 18 age range. And I spent six years working at Walsingham and we spent a great deal of our time really developing that and really developing particularly its evangelistic edge. So, um, you know, particularly trying to reach out to unchurched teenagers or te teenagers only really had a, a passing link with the church through their parishes offering invitation. So, you know, it's not a huge event by any means, it's, it, but it's about a thousand young people, um, 11 to 18, again, mostly from those backgrounds. And, you know, were you to go, there's much that would be familiar to anyone who knows Soul Survivor or any of those youth events. So it's camping based, it's in a field outside the village, we have a big top, we have um, uh, you know, modern worship with a worship band, we have a big screen. But the difference is it's rooted in the disciplines of pilgrimage. So the heart of the, of the pilgrimage is the daily mass offered every day, um, but done in a way that's, you know, that's accessible, that's dynamic, that's, that's um, evangelistic and outward looking. And it's wonderful to watch you know, the Eucharist bring young people to faith and to see how often that is the moment of conversion. And I think sometimes we dismiss the Eucharist and think this is believer's worship. It's only for those who kind of already made the journey. Actually, the Eucharist converts. I've watched it convert. Um, we, uh, the other, uh, we, uh, we, the other pilgrimage devotions we also use. So there's a, there's processions. There's um, uh, uh, we, the confessional is also a very important part of the pilgrimage, mm -hmm. where young people can, in in confidence, name sin in their lives and seek forgiveness. And again, you know, the, the, we have priests all through the night hearing confessions one night, because again, for many young people, that opportunity to be unburdened of stuff in their lives. Um, to speak confidentially to an adult about what's getting them down, to hear authoritative words of forgiveness. That's an incredibly beautiful offer. And again, for many young people, that, that's the moment of conversion. But of course, it's all done in the context of a tremendously fun five days away. And it's in France, so it's warm. It's, it's, it's not in France, no, it's in North oh, Norfolk. Oh, it's in North Norfolk, yeah. yeah. If you only were away in France, it's in North Norfolk. It's, it's in England. And it rains every year. I've, I've led a pilgrimage. No, I've not, no, I've no, never, no, no, I haven't actually. I've been to Teze, but a very long long time ago I've not led a pilgrimage there well let's come back to that because even as you're speaking I I mean this is giving me goosebumps because there's something it's so provocative and so dynamic isn't it that space where the Holy Spirit who loves young people more than we could ever imagine um, and yet works wonderfully he works wonderfully within the traditions and the structures and the kind of the frameworks that we set isn't that a beautiful partnership but I I want to hear more a little bit about how that looks so you've got this intersection of the contemplative reflective monastic tradition you've got contemporary worship you've got camping and portaloos like you say it's similar to Soul Survivor I think you're right but I guess there's an additional layer to it isn't yeah, there I was saying there's elements similar yes, to Soul Survivor yeah. so you know we've not we're not boring kids with kind of dull no not at all bust out 
bits of music they're going to switch off and yeah. and the preaching is terribly important and it's about you know understanding the questions on young people's hearts mm. so we've looked at body image we've mm. looked at identity we're looking this year at friendship and relationship so we try to you know we try to start with the issues that young people are concerned mm. about and and see how the gospel transforms mm. those situations so there's those similarities but you know it, it's it's confidently catholic so we'll see for example is a shrine where mary is is um, you know, the heart of it is the image of Mary holding Jesus up for people to see. Mm. We seek Mary's prayers there because Mary always points us to her son. Um, and Mary's example, this, this poor virgin who unconditionally offered her life to Christ and lived for him alone. That's one that we set before the young people. So it's, you know, Walsingham is very much a flowering of the Catholic tradition in the Church of England. Mm. And uh, we want young people to access the richness of that spirituality mm. because it's one that connects mm. very easily to young people's lives if you get that right. Mm. So it is Catholic in approach. But then I think we've learned from other traditions. The worship band, for example, the Roman Catholic worship band called CJM, they'll do a whole range of music. And it's their, what they've got a real sense of how liturgy works. Mm, there so we that, go, there's the alarm. Uh, there's the alarm. So, um, you know, they can draw people. Yeah, they can get people mm. jumping up and down having a lovely time, but then they can draw them into the most intense prayer. Mm. And we're unafraid of silence. You will sometimes have a, a, a night of silence mm. where young people come in groups through the night to keep a bridge of prayer through the night. There's a devotion in, in the Catholic part of the church called Benediction, where the bread of the Eucharist mm. is, is the centre of our prayers. We worship Jesus, the living bread. Um, again, the, the, you know, the quality of silence of mm. hundreds of young people in prayer before the sacrament is yes. heart-stoppingly beautiful, actually. And, and I love that yes. kind of range, that one minute they're jumping up and down and laughing, next minute they're playing with their friends on the field, the next minute they're in deep prayer, next minute they're making their confession. You know, I, I love that, you know, the way the gospel just embraces every part mm. of our lives. It's not a kind of church part to ourselves. Mm. Young people will refuse to make that kind of compartmentalization that adults make, won't mm -hmm. they? Yeah, they absolutely. just are who they are. There's something lovely about an event that caters their whole self. And what's really critical, I think, is it's safe space. And I think particularly for urban young people, this issue of safety and where you feel safe is almost overwhelmingly important. Mm. Um, and countryside, a well-managed event, they feel safe. And because they feel safe, friendships can be formed. And mm. because they feel safe, conversion can happen. I think it's incredible to hear you speak and, and to think that over the last sort of five, ten years, the sort of broadly evangelical wing of the, of the church have been adopting a lot of these ancient practices and seeing the real richness, as you say, of contemplative prayer, of giving young people an opportunity for silence. Yes. And I think maybe 10 years ago, in the tradition that I come from, I wouldn't have heard, we wouldn't have thought that young people would be able to do that. We kind of had quite a low bar on what they were able to cope with. And increasingly, I think we're adopting a lot of the practices that you the old tradition has been bringing to young people for many, many years. I guess, we off air, we were talking a little bit about our phones, weren't we? We were talking about just the, the struggle that we have as adults to kind of deal with the huge amounts of information that bombard us all the time and how we love that, actually. We're really kind of, we resonate and we wake up to that. I guess... Are you seeing within what you're doing an increasing number of young people seeking out these alternative approaches? Because actually, although you and I are the generation that can opt in and opt out of social media, the young people growing up now, this is their world. Mm. This is the only way that stuff functions. It comes at you like, yes. like a juggernaut. 
Are you seeing an increase in young people wanting to seek out these silent spaces, these one-to-one confessional spaces? Is, are you seeing more interest in that as technology increases? I, I, I don't think I could say I'm seeing more, to be honest. And the youth pilgrimage, it's growing slightly, but not exponentially. Um, but I do think that's partly our own fault, that we're still too nervous of using some of these. I'm so intrigued by what you said about silence. I remember doing a mission in a school once and doing a, uh, an Ignatian meditation on a passage of scripture. And to begin with, they were a bit kind of crotchety, but then the silence took hold and I could have just let it run forever. These young people just felt so liberated by this empty space. Again, you know, I've done events for children where if they come into church, they're silent in church and they love that. They come really early. But I, I just don't think yet we've quite got the nerve. You know, we still presume that if it's children and young people, it's got to be loud, jumpy up and down and entertaining at all points. And there's times when it does have to be that. You need to merit attention, actually. But I, I think I think there's tremendous spiritual riches, which if presented correctly, young people can, mm. can massively engage with. I think we just need to be much more creative in what we're doing. I suppose that is partly us getting out of the way, isn't it? It is, and, and yeah. And allowing God to be yes. God. That's yes. awesome. Yes. Yes. I want to ask you some questions about this particular area now. So we're sat in Clayton House, Blackburn Diocese. You are the Bishop of Burnley. Um, and since um, I've arrived here, I've realised how phenomenal it is to have you and Bishop Jill and Bishop Julian and all the other senior leaders across this great area. Because there's a real hunger in this place for youth ministry, for really connecting with young people. And I've learned since coming here that that this area of the country, we have more young people from church schools being confirmed than in other areas, possibly. I think we might be the highest. We um, have church schools here that have really vibrant, exciting, dynamic Christian ethos. And that doesn't just happen. So so what's the story behind that? Why why are we seeing in this particular area church schools that, that really do grab hold of their Christian ethos and, and what can we learn about from that for other areas? I think there's two things to do. I think it's because partly there's so many of them. There's 180 primaries, 10 secondaries. And when you get a critical mass of schools like that, they'll just work together. For example, you know, I'm doing a, a work with seven, eight schools in the Pendle area of the diocese at the moment who are working together to develop their ethos and kind of being accountable to one another, actually, to develop their common life. So you get, and, and then you also get, you know, career structure within the church school so people want to stay within that sector so it becomes it develops strength through the just through numbers there's also been a big emphasis on having christian heads and and that's critical in terms of church school ethos is that, is that the head teacher really gets the christian faith and is a practicing christian themselves i think 95 percent of our heads are practicing christians and that means we have this you know, I've been to most church schools in the diocese now, not all, but I carry on discovering these places where they're just, yeah, they're inclusive schools. They're for whole communities. They're not um, ramming faith down people's throats or proselytising inappropriately, but they are at the same time so confident in who they are as Christian communities. And in some ways, amongst the most moving are um, in the parts of the diocese in Blackburn and Burnley where there's a big Muslim majority. You know, we've got schools in Blackburn where, you know, 98% of children are Muslims, but the school is still, you know, shamelessly mm. a, Christ, a church school. Mm. And Muslim parents feel very, very confident with that. Mm. Um, so it, it, it is, it, I think that Christian head really, um, really is important. And then, of course, what that enables is very strong connections with, with, with parishes. And so our 
clergy, you know, we wouldn't appoint a priest to this diocese unless they're as capable of communicating with faith to children as to adults. And then really encouraging them to develop strong links with their schools. And that's lovely to see, you know, we just get warm friendships between church and school and a real kind of connection um, in children's church and school lives. That's beautiful. I want to go into some murky waters with this, if that's okay. And we can talk broader than this area. So people listening to this, um, our youth workers probably do a bit of stuff in their local schools. If they're anything like I was when I was a a schools worker in North London, possibly have a bias towards schools that aren't church schools. Maybe wrongly have an assumption that, well, if children are in church schools, that's being sorted. So I'll go to the school next to it, which which, which isn't a church school. And, And I'm and I've sort of increasingly become aware that actually unless churches really see their local school, whether it's a church school or not, as, as a, ch- a school to be in partnership with, there might be great stuff happening in the school, but there isn't a pipeline to the local church. And that can be as much of an issue for a church, for a school that isn't a church school as a school that is a church school. So what, in a way, I'm asking you, what's your message or what's your ask or what's your hope for a local church in terms of how they see their relationship with the school and where are some of the barriers that where are some of the things that the churches are dropping the ball really they're missing the yeah. opportunity of all these amazing kids being confirmed or, or, or I think I think the first thing is to be a servant to the school and to serve the school as is appropriate and and to do that on the school's terms actually um you know we go as it's it's particularly in community schools we go as guests so let's help out where we can that may be worship leading it may be chaplaincy and support to the staff or the head it may be helping with um pshe um you know there's different ways of serving a school but the best approach is when a church leader just turns up and says how can we support you here mm-hmm. and is you know it's becoming friends first of all mm-hmm. and and but then the next thing is it's that it's doable actually in most schools but what is the next step for the young people and the next step you can't really expect the school to do that the next step has to be put in place by the church so the local church then has to think what is our space for young people and that sounds like a tremendously complicated question but actually it doesn't need to be and you know what i've been struck by going around this diocese is the amount of youth work that is done not after great big, huge, long, complicated, year-long youth work programmes, but by a small group of able volunteers who can cook, (laughs) who like young people, and who can communicate their faith. And if you get that, you know, churches can create spaces for young people. I I never quite get why so many churches do children's work and don't do youth work, because in my experience... Children's work is tremendously hard work. You've got to cut stuff out. You've got to keep them entertained. You've got to white noses and manage and blah, blah, blah. Young people, you just create a space where they can be together. You know, a nice room, a pool table, a a house thrown open, obviously with the correct safeguarding Mm. uh, Mm. uh, in place. Um, And then, you know, hospitality, space, good relations with good adults who aren't parents. Um, and some relevant scriptural input. You know, I think yes. almost any congregation can manage that. It's partly it's, com- it's confidence as well as competence, isn't it? It's, it's thinking not just there's, there's resources that will help us to do this, but, but that actually this ch- our little congregation could, we could be good news for young people. Young people locally could want a relationship with us. And I think changing that mindset, I think it's, it's just so fantastic when leaders like yourself keep 
keep kind of sowing that. It's not mega church. It's not massive stuff. It's it's a congregation being themselves beautifully and inviting young people into that space and allowing themselves to be changed by the young people that, that take part in that. So so you're a bishop, and I guess we the, the danger is within the, within the C of E structure, every denomination has a kind of a hierarchy, isn't it? And we can sometimes say, well, if only the senior leaders at the top did X, Y, and Z, then the rest of us could get on with our jobs and, and, and X, Y, and Z. And there's always a little bit of that. I mean, you are, you are now a bishop, and I recently recently heard you say to a room full of it was Anglican clergy but it could have been any church leaders you recently said look we really have to make a priority our ministry with 11 pluses like we we well, everything you've just said so my question is as a bishop how much power like how much power do you have to make that, that happen what does that what does that look like it's, it's a very odd thing being a bishop because <laughs> if you look at kind of functional um uh, institutional power you could say very little. You know, I cannot direct the actions of our priests. They are either freeholders or have common tenure. They're not employees. I can't direct them at all. Um, you know, I can give a priest advice. They can just tell me where to go, frankly. Shove off. We don't, you know, and there's nothing I can do about that. Nor can I direct the actions of, of PCCs. It's not a command and control structure. But of course, what, how do you understand leadership? Is leadership about control or is leadership about release? And I want to say leadership is about release. And what bishops have is influence. And what they can form is strong, loving relationships with clergy and and key lay leaders. Um, And what bishops can do is give permission um, and encourage along along a certain path. And that actually can be far, far more, that kind of relational influencing power can be far more effective if you use it correctly. And, you know, I see my job as a bishop as... um, you know, caring in the local and then also inspiring with a vision. I see my job as knowing um, uh, the priests and the leaders I have responsibility for and then keeping the vision strong. The thing about running a local church is you can quite easily be dragged down by the mundane and, and the tr- difficult, difficult relationships, a problem with a roof, um, a fallout with a scout group. And that kind of thing can be very stressful and very occupying of mental space. And what a bishop needs to do is A, be there in the difficult moments, but then B, recall to the big picture. And what's the big picture? We have a gospel of salvation and we're not connecting with our 11-year-olds. You know, I could, I could weep, actually, when I see some of the data. We've got the youngest congregations in the diocese in this country. And yet when it gets to age 12, 13, where have those young people gone? Um, and there's, there's, a, there's that phenomenal passage in Matthew's gospel where, where Herod has killed the children. Um, and and you know, Matthew, loving his Old Testament fulfilment, says that the, a voice of weeping was heard. Is it, it's weep, Rachel weeping for her children and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. When I look at the data around young people in the church, I feel like that. I think as a church we should be weeping for our children um, and refusing to be consoled until we respond to that huge mission challenge. What do you see as some practical solutions to that then in in the next 10 years? How can we see the ground swell change, the shift in the local church? What will be some of the things that need to happen so that... I think one, we need prayer. I think two, we need confidence that the gospel transforms lives and situations that we don't need to apologise for it or be embarrassed by it we just need to proclaim it joyfully and I think sometimes a lack of confidence in the difference the gospel makes to a life that's something that holds um, churches back sometimes Um, I think then we need to think um, what are the spaces for our young people you know just assuming you can shoehorn them into traditional Sunday morning worship 
It's going to work for some young people, but it's not going to work for all. Um, uh, so, you know, what, what are the spaces recruiting for young people? Um, what are we doing beyond Sunday when many of them want to play football, but still taking them very, very seriously? I think there's also bits of the tradition we need to recover. So, you know, where I see very strong youth ministry going on this diocese, sometimes it's because churches have found fairly traditional jobs for young people to do. So they're serving or they're singing in a choir, or they're, um, they're science people welcoming people to church. You know, young people love a job, don't they? And a real job that gives them responsibilities. I think sometimes some of those traditional ways of engaging people um, we've lost. Um, uh, but, but it's all, what lies behind this, of course, is adults who want to make a difference in this area. And there's one key thing, it's discerning and calling forth those leaders. You know, if any church can find three, four adults who know who you know who are passionate in this area everything else can happen mm, you can learn the skills absolutely. of dealing with young absolutely. people yeah. you can learn the skills of 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 doing some teaching yes and you know i just i just i would love to see every one of our 240 parishes in this diocese creating a space for say eight young people mm. and that's eminently doable but think of the difference that would Fantastic. make with all those young people engaging with the life of the church so it's 10 years in the future I come back and I maybe are still wearing this bright yellow ridiculous skirt and I say Bishop it's 10 years in and do you remember we had that conversation we talked about how it'd be so amazing for churches to grab the confidence and three or four people per church getting a sense of this what what would be the signs that things have changed for you what what would it look like in 10 years time that churches in this diocese across the whole of the UK are taking seriously this cry that we have a generation who are just not connected with local church, those those traditional paths into faith are not there anymore. So we've got to find new, got to kind of make new paths, dig up new ground. What would give you hope that in the last 10 years we've we've made changes that are needed? What, what would it look like? I'm always intrigued how Jesus takes the marginalised and places them right at the centre of the community. He doesn't kind of patronise them or make space for them or make provision for them. You know, when he finds the bound woman, when he finds the blind man, when he finds the small child, he puts them right at the centre of the community. So they become the ones doing the teaching and the proclamation. And that would be my vision, I think, is that young people aren't patronised groups on the edge, but are right at the heart, at the centre of our church, and are teaching us how to believe and teaching us the faith. And they're the leaders and they're the witnesses and they're the disciples. That's what I would love to see, a church that really places the young at the centre. That is an incredible place to end our interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic interview, Rachel. Oh, it's well good. done. Yeah, really and well, good. I'm forgetting him as well because he's a, a man in demand. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, what, what he was talking about there about uh, knowing we've succeeded uh, looks like a church that places young people at the centre. How far do you think we are from, from that? Oh. How far are we from that in your church? Well, we're a church that wants to make that happen and we're finding it hard. So let alone those that don't realise yet they need Mm. to make it happen. I don't know. I think it's really hard to get a sense of of, of what we're doing, but I guess it's the direction we're moving in, isn't it? And if we Mm. have bishops or denominational leads saying publicly, young people at the centre of this, then surely, surely that's going to begin to change things, isn't it? Churches, I think, find it really hard. He generalises, of course, but um, they find it really hard to, um, to understand what we mean by young people at the centre as anything other than 
oh great could you get a young person to do the prayers could you get a young person to do the reading Uh, as if that is Mm. really placing young people at the centre of things but all that's actually doing is filling a couple of troublesome roles Mm. that you have to fill every Sunday it's not really you know young people at the centre would be what's the focal point of your church service when you're a leader trying to organise it you know Mm. if you're preaching it's the sermon, isn't it? The, the sermon is like your crowning glory. That's the, that's the moment. Or it might be the Eucharist. Or uh, it might be the worship could be really central. So I would say, you know, placing young people at the very heart of a church service, uh, and that's not all it means to put young people at the heart of a church, means more than just giving them the peripheral tasks. Mm. And it's about the decision-making, isn't it? Because I think I often have walked away from PCC meetings where it, you always moan about the people that aren't in the room and, and mm. young people are moaned about because they're never in the room, are they? If, if we have two 15-year-olds sat on a sofa in a PCC meeting, I guarantee you as a PCC wouldn't moan about youth work because yeah. you've got two 15-year-olds. So I think the, the, the decision-making, which I suppose in... A, a denomination like the CFE where there are very structured roles mm, mm. makes it challenging but actually real opportunities in that as well um, mm. yeah so I think I, I'm really excited to just sort of mm. be in an area like the Northwest where this kind of leadership is happening not just in the CFE but across all the networks all denominations what could it look like in the next 10 years that we really do something different mm. and oh mm. I'd love that I'm very excited about that Good stuff. Well, I do feel still quite exhausted after the announcement you made before the uh, interview. So I'm, I think everyone's going to scurry off now and have a little look online and find I out about so. the summer. But of course, um, Philip talked about Walsingham as well. Yeah. And I think, again, we, we said in a previous podcast, choose this opportunity to, to, this summer to, to go somewhere different. Maybe go and check out the Elam camp or um, Vineyard camp or somewhere completely different. Go mm. to Walsingham, mm. take your young people, expose them to an experience of being with people that love Jesus and their way of kind of expressing that might be different. Different, but actually might, as Philip said, be very familiar to what we're used to. This mm. is about encounter after all, isn't it? So enjoy this summer, but it's not, we're not even near summer. But enjoy this summer. You are at the enjoy stage it. very much though where you're booking the summer. You as you are. I think this is this well, is absolutely prime time. By now, isn't it? Yeah. You are booking. You've got if you're yeah. a if you're a youth leader organising a trip, you've now got the the horror of trying to chase payments, mm. of trying to convince you've, you've people to come. You've still not got the person who's going to do the cooking yet. So you haven't got the cook yet. Who's the toughest person to find. You're figuring out where you can borrow tents from. Yeah. You are. You're in you the know. Thick of it, aren't you? Gosh, it was. We took a large group last summer to the, the final mm. Soul Survivor and it was administratively complicated. <laughs> Brilliantly rewarding. But I just have great sympathy for anyone at the mm. moment who's trying to get people to... Mm. It's Can like it. herding kittens at it this is. stage, it isn't is. it? So, But it's worth God it. God bless so you. Do it. And uh, I, I have a final question before we go. Felt like you were going to launch then into See You Later. But I don't want you to do that. Because... Yes, what? uh, I'm just intrigued by something. So at the National Youth Ministry Weekend in uh, November, we launched a new resource called The Game Plan. Mm. Did you see it? I did. It was... um, It's a a journal, like a planner, an undated planner for youth workers. And the great thing about it is, one, it's absolutely oriented around youth ministry. Number two, it's undated. So you could buy it and start it in April or June or whenever you like. You just start your year and start working through it. And it's a really awesome resource. And I would love to hear, now people have been using it for a few mm-hmm. months, how it's been going uh, and whether it's been as useful as we hoped it yes. would. Because, you know, you sort of create this stuff and you think, 
this feels like it will work. Really help, yeah. But actually, the only the proof is in the eating, it is in the right? Movie. Yeah, that's right. So that's a good question. Yeah. So I would love to hear from some people yes. who've tried uh, the game plan. So if you have uh, uh, been using the game plan resource for the last few months, um, get in touch with us. Uh, you can uh, drop us an email, podcast at youthscape.co.uk, or you can uh, get involved on our social media channels. Mm-hmm. Which there multiple are channels. Many. Are we on TikTok yet, Amy? No. Still trying no. to get that to happen. <laughs> 15 second clips you of us. You laughed in the face of that, Martha. The kids will go crazy for it. What do you think? <laughs> crazy. No? Very well. Not so much. Okay. Yes, or if, if you're watching the video version, you can just type the comments below, right? Yeah, that's if you're true. recording this onto VHS video. If you're <laughs> drawing up, wow. the interest. So there we go. Brilliant. So find out more. Beth brought. I gave it to Beth. So I'll find out. If that's you can right. also, if you have, if, you, if if that sounds interesting, you can find out about it on the yes. Youthscape website, youthscape.co.uk forward slash store. And thus endeth today's podcast. We love you. Have a great day. Bye.